The following was written by Jem Bendel and Rabbi Jeffrey Newman and published on January 7th on jembendel.com. The title, The Economics of Extinction, A Reason for Rebellion. It says this article originally appeared on Extinction Rebellion's blog on March 20th of 2019 and republished here for ease of access. What would a sane society do, knowing that one of its luxury food supplies was being exhausted? Consume less, perhaps? Or grow more? Japan, knowing that the bluefin tuna is going extinct, does neither. Bluefish tuna make the most profit for fishermen the nearer they are to extinction, as their rarity endows all the more status on their consumers. Some might think that this is a quirky Japanese behavior or an anomaly of economics. But actually, the free market system in which individuals compete for profit is resplendent with such stupidities. How else could the investment in fracking or tar sands be explained? Or the way Brazil is consuming the lungs of the earth to pay back its debts? Or the way industry externalizes the costs of processing much of its waste? poisoning the earth and its future consumers. The logic that leads to these flaws has long been understood, and there have been waves of visceral protest as the ideology of markets became more entrenched. It is two decades since we were shutting down city centers hosting WTO and World Bank conferences, and almost a decade since Occupy camps squatted in sacred places of decadent high finance. This time, our issue is more than economic justice. It's the way governments are standing by as the global house we live in is burning down. We now see clearer than ever how a stupid financial system is driving an environmental breakdown and mass extinction, which will undermine our very civilization. But for all the dissent about this situation, there's little agreement or clarity on where within the financial system the real problem resides or what could be done about it. Explanations from the marching crowds often invoke privatization, corruption, greed, the power of banks, or the shrinking state. Deeper analyses point to something that many are unaware of, even economists. It's how private banks, not the government or central banks, create our money supply when they issue loans. It is this practice of issuing money as debt that over time creates a scarcity of money in which, or which encourages perpetual economic growth whether a society needs it or not. That means more junk, monotonous work, energy burned, natural environments ripped up, more waste, more money locked up in tax havens, and more un unpayable debts. Lifting the veil on the monetary system reveals the interconnection between our social and environmental suffering. Through complex chains of profit-taking, the extortionate financial rewards taken by banks leads to people relying upon food banks while we trash the foundational bank that is a healthy planet. Therefore, after decades of work on reforming corporations to be more sustainable, we both came to understand that we can't change the way business does business unless, the change, unless we change the way money makes money. Given our perilous situation with the unfolding environmental breakdown, this change is more urgent than ever, as it oscillates along the knife edge of debt maximization and debt default, 
The current system is simply not fit for a future of climate-induced disruption. But understanding the driving role of the financial system doesn't give us a course of action, and it certainly doesn't help us to curtail it. For starters, we exist within the confines of the system. Many of us have little capacity to take radical action because we are working off our debts, or earning wages suppressed by employers servicing their own. That is hardly surprising in an economy with more debt than money. So what might we do? We can move our money to building societies, but that won't reform the big banks. We can work together to build alternatives at the local level, such as credit unions and multiple and mutual credit currencies. Yet in the UK, this has proven difficult, as they are less available and less funded than their competitors. So we might buy into cryptocurrencies, yet many of them are run by speculators who make bankers look saintly. So the only possible way forward, or the only way to pos- possible way to put the financial system into a reverse thrust is through government, who, after all, unleashed the financial beast over 30 years ago. It would seem, though, that the present UK government imagines a different mandate for itself. In his 2018 party conference speech, Chancellor Hammond claimed already to have rebuilt the financial system, quote-unquote, since 2008. He said nothing about energy security, food security, climate change, the global mitigation crisis, or indeed any future concerns except the Labour Party. One can't imagine the sixth mass extinction keeping him awake at night. Rather than existential threats, he focused instead on linguistic ones, repeating the term 21st century capitalism, as if the next 80 years of economics was already written. Hammond is out of touch with a public increasingly alarmed by climate predictions. After 30 years of warnings but no meaningful action, the current very conservative estimate of the dramatic changes uh, are, are needed within the next 10 to 12 years, just for a chance of avoiding runaway climate change. Less optimistic readings of the data indicate that rapid and uncontrollable climate change has already begun. That will mean failed harvests and with it exploding price rises and, understandably, social unrest. A new paradigm of deep adaptation to environmental breakdown is needed to reduce harm and risk in a very uncertain future. Again, a new paradigm of deep adaptation to environmental breakdown is needed to reduce harm and risk in a very uncertain future. Audio editors note, that's what Jim Bendel is famous for, is his deep adaptation paper and then subsequent things. As friends and neighbors, we might stockpile food, nurture our gardens, and install solar power. But government is needed to build the seed defenses, mobilize emergency food production and distribution, rebuild transportation systems, and integrate large numbers of people fleeing droughts, floods, and related conflict. Governments around the world need to develop climate-smart monetary and investment policies. Such bold policies must involve a scaling down of our non-reverse banking system, non-reserve banking system, and an increase in government's issuance of electronic money instead of bonds. All central banks must be instructed to stop buying bonds from companies with large carbon footprints, and instead only buy bonds of firms providing low-carbon solutions for climate-disrupted future. Governments should also ensure that there are networks of local banks with the requirement to lend to enterprises that are focused on cutting emissions or drawing down carbon, as well as developing resilience to disruptive weather. Making that the the RBS mandate in the UK is a no-brainer. 
Governments should also look at enabling local governments to issue their own interoperational currencies as a way of helping local communities become more self-reliant and preparing for future disturbances. Treasury officials could begin their education on these by talking to folks at Positive Money, and that's hotlinked. Meanwhile, our diplomats could get cracking on negotiating a global carbon tax embedded into trade law at the WTO with government commitments to invest revenues for carbon cuts, drawdown, adaptation, and reducing impacts on the poor. Given how bad things are with the environment, we don't know if such dramatic changes will be too little too late, but it's worth a try. And we are convinced that without an attempt to transform the monetary system, we really aren't trying. Let's for imagine, well, let's for a moment imagine that such changes could support. What such changes could support. We can imagine what thriving ecosystems look like. So let's imagine a thriving economy. Waste would be minimized and toxic waste eliminated. Most of what we need we needed would be produced nearby. There would be no unemployment and no shrinking shortage of money to pay for valuable work. Housing would be affordable as it was in the 1970s. Children would see more of their parents. Enterprises and population centers would be governed and and managed less as pawns of London, Brussels, Bern, or Frankfurt, and more by the people who have a stake in them and their continuance. There must come a time when it becomes necessary to flout the law to bring down an immoral or incompetent government. Say it again, there must come a time when it becomes necessary to flout the law to bring down an immoral or incompetent government. Philosophers call it the right of rebellion. Naturally, they differ on the details, but generally a rebellion these days must use nonviolent methods, and it must be against a government which is grossly incompetent, malignant, or treacherous. In upholding a financial system determined to burn all the fossil fuels while not protecting the people from the catastrophic consequences, governments are surely being grossly incompetent, malignant, and treacherous. On April 15, 2019, International Rebellion Week will create all manner of creative, exciting, and loving peaceful civil disobedience to show the UK government and its financial masters that we can no longer support interlocking economic and political systems that threaten to curtail the life of our children. It's time to tell the truth, act in accordance with it, and set up citizen assemblies with mandates that include both financial reform and deep adaptation. If international rebellion doesn't startle our politicians into making the climate crisis their central agenda, then we must stretch the rebellion into our everyday lives. How many coordinated withdrawals and loan defaults might bring down a targeted bank? How many local councils issuing interoperable currencies could create an alternative to the Bank of England? How many people joining networks with their own currencies like Fair Co-op, Credit Commons, or Holochain could make these viable alternatives? If government does not heed peaceful calls, to change our economic system so that climate sanity is an economic norm, we may well find out. We realize that initially our suggestions will be dismissed by some office holders in our current systems. Religious texts remind us that privileged people, quote, who detest the one who tells the truth, Prophet Amos 5.10, are neither new nor unusual. 
But the joy of generations coming together in a new spirit of fearless love reminds us of the divine invitation to, quote, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream, unquote. Prophet Amos 5.24. We therefore invite more leaders in our current system to join this sacred flow of a peaceful rebellion for life on earth. Professor Jem Bendel is founder of the Deep Adaptation Forum and teaches leadership at the University of Cumbria. In April 2019, he spoke to launch the International Rebellion on the Oxford Circus Pink Boat with a text and video available here, and that's hotlinked. Rabbi Jeffrey Newman is Emeritus Rabbi of the Finchley Reform Synagogue and leads uh, Shema, Jewish Action on Climate Change. He was arrested outside the Bank of England for nonviolent protests during Extinction Rebellion's demonstrations in London. <laughs> 